Hello everyone and thank you for listening. My name is Justin Ugis, completing a PhD at the University of Melbourne. This is the seventh episode in my series on urban climatology. Here we continue with urban green space, but introduce some design concepts emerging in the field. Previously we looked at a typical urban park, which may include a combination of trees and grass, and other plants. But, wouldn't it be nice to have green space in other places as well? Fortunately, this is possible using architecture, such as green roofs and green walls. What is it that these do? Let's first look at roofs. A typical urban roof is made up of black tiles. These black tiles heat up very significantly on a hot summer day, reaching up to 60 degrees Celsius. This heats the air up directly above the tiles. Then in suburbia, with street after street of these roofs, it does cause a significant amount of heating. While it is just above the ground, it is still a major source of heat in the atmosphere. Even for tin roofs, or those colour bond roofs, the heating can still be quite uncomfortable. However, if you replace such a roof with a green roof, the situation changes drastically. The colour changes, and with plants on the roof, it becomes more similar to a grassed surface. If you remember a grassy ground, as it is porous, it has water available to increase latent heat energy and reduce sensible heating. Therefore, a green roof with water available is a cooler roof. As a green wall, it is a similar situation. The difference here is that a green wall doesn't receive as much sun because it is vertical and not facing the sun so much. These may sound ideal, and you may think, if these are so good, why not put them up everywhere? Unfortunately, it is not as simple as that, and there are a few challenges, particularly for green roofs, that prevent them from being used as widespread as what you might think. Let me explain. All plants need soil, otherwise known as a substrate, a new word. They also need water. These, and especially the water, are heavy. To put these on a roof may collapse a roof. Now we don't want that, do we? It's clear that extra support is needed underneath the roof to hold up the weight. This can be expensive. In fact, this probably will be expensive, often prohibitively expensive. Thus, most people don't do it. The other factor is the type of green roof that is wanted. There are two main types of green roof. Think about them like this. If you go walking through a thick, cool rainforest, it is cool. Or if you go to a desert botanical garden and you see a lot of cactus or succulents in the gravel, it is still quite hot, despite the so-called green. Beneath the surface of these two different types of garden is literally beneath the surface. A rainforest needs a lot of water and a lot of soil, a thick bed of soil with plenty of water. This is very heavy, and a green roof especially so. This type of green roof is called an intensive green roof. On the other hand, those desert succulents and cactus in the gravel need very little soil and water. Quite a thin layer, in fact. A thin layer is much easier and cheaper for a green roof. This is called an extensive green roof. 
Think of it like this. An intensive green roof needs an intensive amount of work for an intensive amount of weight. An extensive green roof can extend a long way because it is cheaper and easier to have on a roof. You see the dilemma. To have a cheaper and easier green roof means having a green roof that is not really that green and may not make a lot of cooling difference. Where to get a really cool and probably quite pretty green roof with a rainforest on top is very expensive and difficult to do. These are difficult problems, and not the only problems. Another major issue, particularly for warm to hot and often dry continents like Australia, the southern United States or southern Europe, the conditions on a roof may just be too extreme for a plant to survive in the first place. Then especially if the location experiences a lot of sunshine, a better use of the roof may not be a green roof at all, but rather solar power panels. Solar power panels may actually be quite effective in hot climates because they do also provide shade for the roof that they are on. And then of course that makes the roof cooler, which makes the inside of the house cooler. And the use of solar powers is a discussion worth having later. Under the assumption that we have a green roof though, for the purposes of this podcast, we need to decide which sort is appropriate. Here, we will assume an extensive green roof. An extensive green roof is defined as having a soil depth of no more than 20 centimetres. This definition is just for scientific purposes, otherwise there's no other reason for this definition. This may include many layers that help to retain water, nullify the effects of the roof slope and some sort of barrier such as a wire mesh to stop the soil from falling off. The additional benefit of a green roof is that it provides extra insulation for the building interior below. Not only these, but we have a natural filtration system for stormwater filtration. So this is another concept. These water filtration systems are part of more holistic approaches called water-sensitive urban design. This design thinking is interested not just in the use and benefits of green walls and green roofs, but also in what happens to water in an urban area in general. But first, let me explain what I mean by water-sensitive urban design. Well, the clue is in the title. So it's about urban design, but it's about urban design that's water sensitive. So what's water sensitive? Another way to say that really is water efficiency. So how can urban areas use water more efficiently? I'll explain the how in a minute, but first let me explain the why. So you may recall in previous podcasts that when energy from the sun comes to the earth, it gets partitioned. So first there's long wave and short wave, so we know about that. But then there's also how energy is partitioned when it reaches the ground. So if you might remember, we have sensible heat, latent heat, and ground heat storage. So here, what becomes important is the latent heat storage and the ground heat storage. So when we have water-sensitive urban design, talking about water efficiency. So there's a thunderstorm that comes over, it rains, and that rain hits the ground. 
So normally, when that water hits the ground, it falls to the earth, falls on a road, on a roof, falls into the gutter, and then drains away to the ocean. And so there's no use for the water apart from it draining away. The urban area can't use it, so it's very inefficient with water use, obviously. With water-sensitive urban design, it seeks to keep the water in the urban area. So why is this important? From previous lectures again, with sensible heat, latent heat, ground heat storage, with the green roof, the water is able to stay in the ground, with the ground this time being on the roof. So then rather than the surface being pervious, or impervious I should say, as in roof tiles or roof metal, there's a garden on top. So this garden is obviously porous. So this layer becomes or goes from being impervious to pervious or porous. That is, rather than having no latent heat on the roof and so all sensible heat, it becomes a situation where because it's a garden on top, the amount of latent heat is increased and there's less sensible heating and so therefore with more latent heat increasing if you remember from previous podcasts that means more evaporation more humidity but more importantly reduced air temperature so that's where water sensitive urban design comes in same with green walls but of course that's less as important but still it's important if you also remember when you're walking along a footpath then the sun's rays bounce off the road onto you but also onto the walls onto you making you a lot warmer than you otherwise would have been again if there's a green wall the sun's rays that drop onto the green wall may well be this time energy from the sun may well be going into more latent heating which again means less sensible heat which means ultimately a cooler you because there's less sensible heating coming from less different directions then there's more latent heating more evaporation and that's cooling you down even on a city street but unfortunately these green walls are less common in such settings so that's basically what we mean by water sensitive urban design when just thinking about green roofs and green walls So water is used on them with the benefits that come with that latent heating cooling without the wastewater that just drains away. So with water sensitive urban design, the water doesn't just drain away. It is still a resource after that. And in fact, the green wall or roof is used for a second purpose as well. That is a natural filtration function. So, rain falls on it and it is absorbed by plants and soaks into the soil. Then, While it is in the soil, any toxins that may be in the water are filtered out. Though there are minimal, if any, toxins in the rainfall, in domestic and commercial applications, at the very least, the water goes into tanks for reuse later, which is another key efficiency of water-sensitive urban design, and often these tanks are underground. However, where this really becomes useful is in wetlands not associated with green walls or green roofs that are functioning as natural filtration systems not just wetlands but also roadside garden areas which may also be wetlands these are also far more important why is this well first again there's the extra latent heating but in a wider area so there might be a whole urban park increases the amount of water available so it increases the latent heating but also remember in any given city where there is rain there is runoff This runoff from buildings and with green roofs or walls 
but it is also from roads, footpaths and gutters etc. These are definitely not clean. They are in fact very dirty with germs, oil, litter, you name it. This water is dirty and it usually just runs into the sea, polluting the sea. However, it can still be a valuable resource, especially in cities in dry, Mediterranean or dry, warm, temperate climates, or those susceptible to drought. Here what happens is water runs off a road, and it runs into a natural filtration system. Here, the wetlands with their plants, microbes, soil, other creatures, act to filter the water of many of these impurities. The same thing happens in larger scale wetlands. The water then is much cleaner, even if still not completely clean, and certainly not clean enough for human consumption. After this, even if the water then washes into an ocean or lake, it is still a lot cleaner than it was, and it is safer as well. But what a lot of cities are attempting to do now is to harness even this water, often into underground water tanks, for use with garden watering during drought, thus the benefit of latent cooling in gardens and water efficiencies are multiplied. So, the above has its goal of water efficiency. However, we can go one step further. We can plan in terms of not just how to use water efficiently, but plan in terms of how to use the cooling power of water to reduce the urban heat island effect. This level of thinking and planning is called climate sensitive urban design. This takes the above principles and uses planning projects with the main objective being of urban cooling with humans at the core, not with water efficiency at the core. Climate sensitive urban design asks how the entire urban landscape can be designed for optimal cooling. We can only go into this briefly for now, because there's a lot to this. But it includes planning for green walls, green roofs, urban wetlands as natural filtration systems, as well as urban parks, but not just this. It also goes into building design to optimise the cooling. For example, how can buildings be designed to maximise the cooling benefit? So this is where you see energy efficient buildings that use natural light may incorporate cooling systems without the use of air conditioners or may have green walls inside or near walls but also it includes methods on how to reduce heating needs in the winter this is where you have buildings that may be five or six star energy rated so this is all going into climate sensitive urban design so focusing on the climate, focusing on the urban heat island, and on not just increasing water efficiencies and increasing cooling, but also on reducing carbon emissions because of the carbon footprint of cities. So as you can imagine, the possibilities for this are endless and will take a long time to go through each thing in detail. Because you can also include details like building materials. You can even go into car efficiencies, even into how much you use cars, public transport. But to get back to urban green space, the decisions on whether to use a roof for green roof or solar panels or the combination 
It will also include how to design urban spaces around urban parks and public transport and connect the two, perhaps with green roofs to expand the greening so that maybe rather than having many separate green spaces, a lot of these green spaces that may otherwise have been separate are at least somewhat connected by green walls and green roofs because studies do show that when these are connected cooling is increased where when parks and green space are not connected but are discrete then this reduces the impact of cooling so then rainwater filters through green roofs off roads into natural filtration systems and then into underwater tanks which are then used to provide water to the park or the green roof Thus, you can see the beginnings of a holistic framework for the whole of urban design and you can understand why many cities around the world are trying to incorporate this new design when there's urban renewal projects or urban infrastructure projects that are occurring. These particularly happen around public transport or in the concept of urban hubs. So rather than having centralised cities, particularly in the US and in Australia, for example, rather than having centralised cities, you try to have cities that have many central hubs are working to reduce the amount of travelling needed. And in these areas, you also have increased green space. And then in more densely packed cities, you try to have more green walls and green roofs, similar to European cities, but you also try to have more green walls and green roofs as an attempt to try to get at least water-sensitive urban design, but even climate-sensitive urban design into these cities. But let's wrap this up here, as this topic is still deserving of much more time, even though this podcast has been a lot longer than what I thought. So to recap, we talked a bit more about green walls and green roofs, and then how these fit into water efficiency focused water sensitive urban design and then climate and urban design focused climate sensitive urban design. So thanks for listening. My name is Justin Urgis and you've been listening to an introduction to urban climatology. Bye for now.